Hey, Justin Baldoni here, and I just wanted to say thank you because my new book, Boys Will Be Human, debuted at number three on the New York Times bestseller list. I never in a million years thought it would be possible. There's not even a section in the bookstore for young boys, and it's thanks to you and this community that it happened. If you haven't picked up the book yet, it's available now anywhere you get your books. It's also on Audible. It's called Boys Will Be Human. It's a get real gut check to becoming the strongest, kindest, bravest person you can be. If you know a parent of a 11 to 100-year-old boy, or if you are one yourself, I promise you this book is for you. Boys Will Be Human, available everywhere that books are sold. Coming up on Man Enough. The only way you can challenge racism, it's not by canceling racists, people who act racist. It just doesn't work. Same with sexist. You can't cancel them. The desire to do so is big because we live in a punishment culture, right? And it just makes sense to us. Like, you've done harm. Let's harm you. The question that was posed to me was, is this working for you? That one moment allowed me the space to know that questioning masculinity is something that it's continual work. I couldn't deny that I was doing the things that were on that board. Objectifying women, uh, using violence to define or instate higher levels of manhood, modeling anger on top of everything else, and then mobilizing emotionlessness because you have to be emotionless to do those three things. Being man enough, what does that mean? It's really manly to mess up, admit you're wrong, and then grow. I couldn't accept that I was evil, so maybe I'm broken, but those broken things could be corrected. Intimacy between a father and a son is me just wanting to, like, put my head in your lap. I love you, son. You haven't called me a benevolent sexist, but my experience is women are better. Even if it's a positive, it's still not equality. I don't blame men for that. I just blame the system. This is Man Enough. Hey everyone, welcome back to Man Enough. We are here with myself. We've got Liz Plank. And we've got Andy Grammer. Oh my gosh. Hey. For those of you who are tuning in, we are here, for those of you who don't know, to talk about things that have to do with masculinity, right? Um, how can we undefine it? How can we learn new ways of associating with the world? How can we unpack all the stuff that we've learned as men? and um, re-engage with the world with a new set of eyes mm. so that we can actually champion ourselves, our boys, men, women, people of color, people who are all people who are disenfranchised. We need to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're, we're doing okay, right, Liz? What do you think? I don't, I mean, we can always do better. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what we try and do every day, yeah. be better. How yeah. are you doing? Are you getting better? I hope so. I hope so. I feel like I'm loosening up a little bit. I came in. These are heavy conversations. Yeah, that you gotta you gotta figure out where to, what to say. So much of what I think being better at masculinity is is just listening. Yeah. So it's been an interesting dance here yeah. to know when to speak up and when to. Yeah, if you just listen share. to Liz for most of it, you're good. Mm-hmm. You're that right. seems to be the best way <laughs> to go. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, and we got a really sweet episode today. Yeah, we do. We are joined by a very special guest today. Graham Finocchio. Oh, snap. Graham. We are Welcome, so Graham. jazzed. Graham Finocchio is a formerly incarcerated ex-skinhead mm-hmm. who spent wow. almost 20 years of his life in and out of the prison system. Uh, so Graham has been home for four years now and spends his time as an organizer, as a coach coordinator for Success Stories, a friend of the pod. So incredible. Friends with Manny and Richie, who yes. we love so much. Richie Reseda, Manny Thomas, Success Stories. So there's so much to, there's so much overlap here. Graham is working to close about a dozen prisons in in California. Wow. And also, 
his work to challenge the patriarchy and create a culture that operates on integrity mm. rather than domination. Come on. I mean, so on brand. So on brand. So much to discuss. Mm. Um, and you have such an incredible story to, to share and so many lessons that I think pertain to so many of the conversations that we're having right now around the rise of white supremacy and the rise of a lot of young boys being pulled into groups on both online and offline. Mm. Uh, but a lot of it is being done just through algorithms and YouTube and TikTok. Um, so it'll be really fascinating to talk about solutions with you. Great. Thank you. So one of the questions we ask everybody on here is when is the last time that you did not feel enough? That's a good question. Uh, so I'll go deep. I, uh, I did a lot of self intensive self work, uh, in a very short period of time, 18 months. Some folks, Manny did self work for the tr a tremendous amount of his time. I was in the shit, like still doing the same thing for most of my prison time. Mm. And then epiphany, I need to do some different stuff. And Manny and Richie and other folks were there to help support me through that. So fast forward to today. I'm now learning uh, that I'm not a master of relationships like I thought I was. I'm not a master of um, emotional intellect or emotional intelligence, like maybe some part of me deep inside thought I was. And in a series of bad choices, I harmed a woman in a relationship, like hurt her. Hurt her. Mm. So in talking to many and other people, I learned that the reason that this took place is because I didn't feel like I was enough. I felt like I wasn't. I was constantly questioning the relationship, constantly questioning the actions. There's some deep embedded trauma and insecurity that I model on a daily basis that I need to work through. Uh, and I hurt this person. So uh, that's, you know the way it was described to me in a conversation, an accountability conversation was, you know, you were in the oven when you were in prison and you came out and some parts of you were cooked and some parts aren't. You got to mm -hmm. keep cooking. Like, mm -hmm. You got to get the rest of that cooked. So I'm doing some intensive work right now to restructure my perspective of what relationships look like in my life yeah. uh, so that I can have the security and the like solid standing in relationships moving forward. Mm. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. It's so important to do that. I think that... Because we we are none of us have arrived. Yeah. Nope. You know, it's always we're a work in progress. Mm -hmm. And just before we start and get deep into it, first, I just want to tell you how uh, grateful I am that you're um, brave enough as a man. We're talking about what it is to be man enough to go through your life, have your experiences, and be brave enough to talk about them and um, the transformation that has occurred in you. And and also to apologize on behalf of humanity for failing you. Because whatever you've gone through in your life is not yours alone. That's all of us not taking care of each other. So thank you for allowing us to explore that and, uh, and so that we as a people can be better. I appreciate you saying that. Um, so like challenging the modern construct of masculinity or just this social construct of masculinity has like been one of the most greatest blessings of my life. Mm. And I appreciate everything that you said. And simultaneously, uh, like the growth moments, the experiences that I have are much more raw and real with other people because I'm able to do that. So it's really more of a blessing, um, you know, than, I mean, it is hard work. There's difficult work in it, obviously, but it's really a blessing to be able to do that. Mm. <clears throat> mm, beautiful. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. Could we get some backstory on, on your story? Mm -hmm. How do you usually tell it? Sure. Um, it's long, so I'll try we to abbreviate it. Uh, it's awesome. So I grew up in Orange County, California. 
I was, uh, you know, I was, I grew up in an abusive household. Um, my father was very abusive, addicted to drugs. My mother was addicted to drugs. They were both in and out of prison. And, uh, and so my grandmother had like a key part in raising me. Mm -hmm. I learned a bunch of great values and virtues from her, but that wasn't what I modeled for the majority of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so at 12, I ran away. Uh, I was on the streets for about two years entered the juvenile justice system during that two-year period where I was first was where I was first introduced to gangs specifically uh, white supremacist gangs mm. um, and I really took to the idea of community the story that I tell in relation to it is so I was sleeping in a park in Huntington Beach and uh, I there was I had nothing to my name I was like a long-haired grungy skinny awkward kid and uh, this group of skinheads walked through the park and they were loud and boisterous. I'd been jumped by other people before, so I assumed I'm gonna get jumped here pretty soon, this is gonna happen, but that's not what they did. They invited me to a show, and through inviting me to a show, there was a sense of community, mm. which I didn't know, I mean, at, at 12 years old, you don't know, no. like, I don't think I had the dialogue in my head to know that I was seeking community, but what I was seeking was community, family, belonging, and I remember seeing them walk up, and uh, what really struck me was just their posture. They were so proud. They were so boisterous. They were loud. They had all these aspects of masculinity that I, as an awkward 12-year-old, mm. long-haired, skinny, gangly kid, did not have. Mm. And uh, within, a, it was a matter of months. I often say six months, but it was probably sooner than that, that I began modeling after them, which yeah. most kids do. You find a group of yeah. people that you associate with and you model after them. And I began modeling after them. And they told me the do's and don'ts. And, uh, like, what I was surprised to find in retrospect is that, like, a lot of it wasn't based on racist principle. It was more based on, like, music and drinking and, and just having fun. But the racist stuff was infused in there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, in, in that moment, like, the way my grandmother raised me was not racist. But in that moment, being a part of something was more important than sticking to the values that my grandmother raised me on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And from that point, at 14, I was taken into juvenile hall for a series of uh, felonies. And then they put me in, as opposed to being in YA, they put me in foster care because my household was unstable. From 14 to 18, foster care. 18, I was kicked out. Just, all right, you're a grown up, go. 18 and a half, I found my way to prison. Uh, and I, I find it really interesting. Like, so I made a series of choices that were obviously wrong. They weren't healthy choices. They weren't good choices for people, for myself. But I find it interesting that at 18, I was out. At 18 and a half, like, I found my way where I, I essentially believe that that's the path that they design. That is the path they design through schools, through the juvenile justice system. The path is designed to, for folks like me uh, who are looking for something and having trouble finding it and lack the tools to develop, uh, what would you call it, pro-social, healthy patterns, right? If you lack those tools, like, this is where you end up and this is what you've got. And at 18 to 20, I was in, out at 20, back in at 21, fighting a life case. Mm. Wow. And you've been out how long? I've been out for three and a half years. How old are you now? 30. How old am I? 38. Mm. 39. Uh-oh. Mm. I'm almost 40. Okay. This is interesting to me, and I don't, you don't have to answer if you don't want to. What When you say that it's it's like a lot of partying and then infused with racism, is there actually like a creed or a thing that we're being talked about? Oh, for sure. There okay, is. and there's like a, like a book or something? There's, there's books. There's the 88 precepts, the 14 words. They were all written by David Lane. 
And they're all like, those are all components that are used, but not lived up to. So like one of the 88 precepts is you don't do drugs. That was not my experience growing up. Got it. Mm. Uh, you're supposed to respect women in a certain way. That's very, it's a very toxic way, but you're supposed to respect women as your partner. Also often like in a hierarchical manner, like they man the house, you know, they take care of the house, you take care of this, and but nothing, that doesn't happen. And so. then is it like, would you get together and all read it together? Not outside, inside a lot. Okay. Mm. Inside is a breeding ground for that. Inside, you mean in, in, in incarceration? Yes, right. absolutely. So in prison, you have so much extra time. They're not providing programs. They're not providing means to uh, work on yourself because it helps them to have a bigger population. So we provide study tools for ourselves and physical fitness, uh, paramilitary training stuff that you do like in the cages around the yard and then study. Just study, study, study. I've read thousand, probably a thousand books. Wow. <laughs> Mm. And most of them were not healthy books to be reading. Mm -hmm. And at, tw at, at 18, between 18 and 30, when I started thinking, th trying to do things differently, mm -hmm. like those books were, um, I could see the contradictions, but I was like, this is being more involved in this community that I want to be a part of, that I want to be the best at, that I want to succeed in. Mm. Yeah. And you talk about how... <sighs> Yes, this was about white supremacy and racism, but it was it was so much m more for for you in terms of how you got drawn in about about the patriarchy, right? About yeah. the ideal of masculinity, the ideal of being a man, which you you couldn't reach. Like you were you were homeless by the time that you were twelve. Like you you couldn't uh, you know provide, and or, I mean again, a twelve year old providing is is just an insane even sort of ideal to yeah. to create. Like of course you can't. You're 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 still a child, and you you weren't taken care of. At, to to Jamie's point, whether it's skinheads, whether it's neo Nazis, uh, you know here at home or 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 abroad, um, and and even ISIS. The first thing that that a lot of people and you can speak to this because this is literally the work that you're doing when they rehabilitate men who have been in the these kinds of extremist groups, the first thing that they do is reimagine their definition of what it means to be a man. Is that your Absolutely. experience? Absolutely. And so like my story in terms of taking steps towards transformation is very recent. I only began working on myself and stepping out of gang behavior, toxic behavior, drug behavior, alcohol behavior, uh, 18 months before I came home. And it was through success stories and other groups like success stories in the community built by people within the community because I want to make clear the prison does not create nor okay. provide space for these. They fight us every step of the way in actually establishing these groups. Uh, the first conversation on masculinity I had was in success stories. Uh, and I fought it. I stood up and I argued with James 88 in the documentary Feminist on Subluck Y. And I said, if this isn't about trying to convert our minds to be feminists, because that's what my fighting point sure. was, then why is women spelt that way on that board? I said, that's a propaganda piece. You're trying to, I know propaganda. I followed Nazi literature. I understand propaganda. So you're trying to sell me propaganda right now. Oh. Mm. And he said, he grabbed the paper off the wall, tore it in half, said, this paper doesn't matter. Are you doing these things or not? And if you mm. are, are they? Is that working out for you? Mm. And that simplistic Socratic method, like I didn't agree in that moment, but I went back to my cell. And when I went back to my cell, I thought, first off, do I really believe what I was saying in there? Do I believe myself? Mm. Right? And I asked that question. And the second thing was, if I don't believe myself, what did I do that for? Like, why? And it was to perform in front of these other 40 people in the room. That's really what it was. Men. Wow. Men right. in the room. <laughs> And so that one moment, I didn't, it was a matter of probably years and still is, it's continual work. But that one moment allowed me the space to know that questioning masculinity is something that, because I couldn't deny 
I couldn't deny that I was doing the things that were on that board, which are objectifying women, uh, using violence to define or, or instate higher levels of manhood or mm. masculinity, objectifying women to do the same and gaining money to do the same. And then uh, mobilizing emotionlessness in the process because you have to be emotionless to do those three things. Mm. You just have to. Mm. Modeling anger on top of everything else. And so like, I couldn't deny that. I denied a lot of the stuff that went on in there externally for a few weeks into the program. But the, the second part of the program that really worked for me was they embraced me to come back. I wasn't yeah. cast aside. I wasn't canceled. I wasn't told I don't want, they're not wanted. They said, oh, come on back. They'd stop me on the yard. They'd talk to me about it. And that idea of community that I'd always been seeking was found right there. Slowly but surely, I developed a community based on integrity. Mm. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. Were some of these individuals, because obviously you were in a group that was, um, did not include people of color. Um, so was this transformation happening with people of color? Like, for instance, Richie and Manny are black. Yeah. Um, were you just now having relationships? I love that you had said you, your grandmother didn't raise you with that ideology that uh, no. whites were better than black people. However, you were in a group that perpetuated that thinking. Yes. Mm -hmm. Did you find yourself, the first question is, did you find yourself then embracing these values and then now you weren't living up to your moral compass prior, but now, you know, you live something long enough, that becomes your, your brain biology. And because of that, then how were you able to embrace people of color helping you transform? Mm -hmm. It was all about the conversation. Like Richie, me and Richie's first engagement was waiting for family visit. And we were arguing about LGBTQ rights. And uh, from conversations that y'all have had with Richie, I think it's clear where he stood on that. And I had a very different position. And we were arguing, but he wasn't arguing. So I was just out there arguing with everybody about stuff that I'm not really passionate about. I was just pretending, essentially. Mm -hmm. In retrospect, I can realize that. I and see. he was just having a conversation with me. And the same thing happened with him. That happened with 88 in that group. I was invited back to more conversation. We'd meet in the hallway. We'd talk about other things, sometimes mm -hmm. just normal conversation. That invitation to continue a relationship that could have been really toxic in a prison environment, like yeah. the possibility of hostility is high, right? And I was creating that hostility and Richie was not having any of it. The way me and Manny met was one day he walked up to me in the yard and just said, hey, I just want to know why you think the way that you think. Like, I'd like to hear why, if, if you believe in what you wear on your body because a lot of my tattoos are inflammatory um and if you you know if so why and we walked laps around the yard and built a friendship from that point and did that for the rest of our time together wow. <laughs> so it's all in a conversation manny brother manny that's manny he's a that's conversationalist wow. here he is a black man walking around asking someone who associated with white supremacy who had every reason to want to knock you out mm-hmm but didn't mm. held space for humanity, and uh, which is what helped transform your heart. Absolutely. Isn't it interesting that at one time you were like the very groups of people that you were standing against are the same group of people that were a part in transforming. It's super, yeah. it's super interesting, and I'm grateful. The group of friends and mentors that I had through that 18 months of of really intensive work before I went home. They're like my best friends today. Mm -hmm. And to have those people in my life, and I've told them on numerous occasions, collectively and individually, like I'm grateful for the, the work that you put into helping me realize, um, what would you call it? Like the error of your ways? It's so much bigger than the mm -hmm. error of your ways, right? Like that's, that's a poetic way of saying the ways that I 
messed, like, like harmed people, harmed a tremendous amount of people with just my tattoos, with physical action, with anything else. So investment is everything. I'm really interested. Is it like a, because I've suffered from different addictions and stuff. Is it a, like a light bulb that goes off or is it continuous work to undo the years of uh, literature and continuous work it's continuous work and that goes with everything that goes with for example the relationships that i build today uh even as i do work with success stories and and in prison spaces challenging masculinity relationship construct is based in you know like the way that it was the way you learned it is how how you're going to model it totally and so continuously i have to question myself on those things in racist literature it's really easy to disassemble what the literature says but what the experience that i have is as i watch things let's say um like political stuff that's going on today i watch it and i can see both how i thought about it and how i feel about it today right? mm -hmm. i can watch both so it's not so um polarized for me because i'm like mm -hmm. i can understand uh, take such a terrible event like Charlottesville, I can understand why they were saying what they were saying and the feelings that they have in their head. How unjustified they are is how I feel today. It's unjustified. Like Yes. It, but at that moment, I can see why, just based on knowing the literature, knowing what they were taught, et cetera. Right. Sure. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It does. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, um, a lot of people might be listening who have family members who are on that line, right? Where... It's their their teenage boy is starting to, uh, you know, watch more content that is veering towards white supremacy, that is veering towards misogyny. I think that point about community is so important. I think the point that you make about being invited back, that makes me reflect on how so often we feel upset about conversations and we don't invite people back, right? And we forget, I think in that moment, you just think they don't want to be in this conversation or, or again, you're focused on on you. You know, maybe this can encourage more people to to see the potential of, of the people around them, especially if they're a family member or your boyfriend or right, so, someone that you're that you're in connection with. So, so I guess my my it's a long winded way of, you know, sort of asking you if there are people who are listening who are starting to distance themselves from from these family members or from mm -hmm. these people in their lives. Um, what should they be doing differently, hmm. or what could they be doing? Period. What could they be doing? Period. What should they do differently is everything. Just challenge everything. If it's not, the question that was posed to me by 88 by James was, is this working for you? Mm, such no, a good it question. Wasn't. But I mean, if it's not just about that and it's actually about reversing harms that you've done and are doing in that moment, I think it's important to remember, like, for one, this brings me back to your point, like, it's not people of color's job to invest that way. Yes, these are folks that are being harmed by your actions. So in the in the instance where I had the benefit of Manny and Richie investing in me and other folks from that community investing in me, I needed to center on the fact that I appreciated that investment when I came through. So much change can happen through through friendship. Yes. Right? And and again, there's a whole spectrum of that, but if you're getting to know someone who is different than you, that's that's teaching them a lot. And so and so maybe it's a, it's encouraging people to, uh, again, have connection with people who are different. I, I think 
is this working for you is actually so powerful. And it comes back to the way that you've talked about, again, interjecting with men when they're sexist or misogynistic. It's like, I feel like you're you're better than this. Mm. Right. And so that is a different framing than why do you believe this? Why are you so dumb? Why are you so destructive? Why are you right? It's like that the framing is is I think it's subtle, but it's important. It is. A lot of the literature is framed on that white people are under attack. So 14-year-old Graham didn't feel like he was under attack, but the people that he was around said, oh, those people do this, we do this. And it created a divide in us versus them. And 35-year-old or 34, 33, 32-year-old Graham felt distinctly under attack, right? So Mm -hmm. in my lived experience— uh, if someone had came at me and been like, how could you believe that terrible da-da-da-da-da, I'd have a list of facts as to why I'm right and you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And they might have a similar list of mm-hmm. why they're right and why wow. I'm wrong. It gets you nowhere. I think entering a conversation with a willingness to be wrong yeah. um, like is very – it's incredibly helpful, right? A willingness to be wrong. I'm not going in here asserting – success stories does not do that. We mm-hmm. walk into the room and say – when I, I was in a prison last night, a yard that I was on, a level four yard that I did five years of my time on and didn't a, a tremendous amount of harm on. And as I open group, I say, disclaimer, I'm a transformational coach. And simultaneously, I'm not telling you how you can fix your lives. Like that's stuff you got to figure out. I'm going to give some tools that work for me. And uh, it might not work for you, mm-hmm. but the search continues because I'm no better than you. I don't have answers. I'm not your teacher. I'm not your instructor. What I am is a part of the community yeah. that we share. And I think that that in terms of racism, uh, it opens wow. doors. Yeah. It opens doors. And some people might not want to because of resentment, because of harm that has been done to them. Mm-hmm. But I think it's imperative for us to break down the polarization. Mm-hmm. The only way you can challenge racism, it's not by canceling racists, people who act racist. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Same with sexist. It, you can't cancel them. The desire to do so is big because we live in a punishment culture, right? And it just makes sense to us. Like, you've done harm. Let's harm you. Yeah. But they're just going to go behind closed doors and say some racist shit or some sexist shit or do some racist shit or some sexist shit. I love how success stories, Manny and Richie uh, exemplified this wonderfully. There was no deflecting. Since you've been here and all that we've asked and as you're sharing, not one time have you made an excuse. You haven't diminished the wrongs that you may have done. You've just been accountable while also standing tall about um, who you are and how to move forward. Like both are happening. And I, this I is not so normal. appreciate that. <laughs> I, you know what I, mean? I appreciate I don't know that many people. No, yeah. my, my favorite people on the planet, really. I'm a part of 12 step programs and are people that have been broken and are transforming yeah. much more than people that have lived just a clean life. And, and God bless them. But for those have, that have had some destruction and have had to transform, Man, that means you've done work. And those people I just are my favorite people. So uh, you've become one of them quickly. So I just want to first start with that. I have a question that maybe you might have some insight on. So we want to save our babies, you know, Mm -hmm. coming up. Babies, me and our five and 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds, you were 12. Yeah. What would you say for our boys that are out there that are... Maybe they're not homeless, but they're home playing PlayStation in the dungeon and the thing and the stuff, you know, and getting all the stuff on TikTok and Instagram and messages that might find themselves, you know, um, easily influenced. Um, What do you think that we can do better to protect our boys? 
That's a difficult question, especially because when I was coming up, the technology that exists today, Mm -hmm. the vast social media realm that just indoctrinates and continue, like you said, algorithms, right? It's all algorithms. That's a difficult question. I think it can be as simple. And again, I don't have all the answers. Sure. No. Might not have any of the answers, but uh, it can be as simple as just continual investment. Because people are going to make the choices that they make. And what does investment mean then? Investment Mm -hmm. means just listen, hear them, see them, hear and see people. So if a kid is Mm -hmm. sitting in a room in a dark dungeon playing Call of Duty at three in the morning, not sleeping, looking up whatever he's looking up, uh, he's looking for something. He's searching for something. He's searching for a community in that video game platform, whatever. If he's on the internet and his entire focus is within his phone, he's looking for something mm. and providing things that can pull away from that, which is difficult. That's an addiction in itself, yeah. I think. Mm. Right? Yeah. Like creating space for them to see the world outside of that mm. and the beauty that's in the world is is kind of the only solution that I got, right? Mm. Yeah. Having real conversations instead of getting mad, get it like get going deep, like have mm. a conversation about what this could mean and fears that you have about what that could do for them mm. without guilting or shaming. I think that that's not constructive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think with that as well, we could, um, sorry guys, I feel like I'm talking too much here. No, but, you're uh, not. Is we have to be proactive in exposing young boys to different cultures. Absolutely. Right. Which means they need fathers around or uncles or big brothers men in their life that can expose them with love to different cultures, expose them to women in a way that oftentimes other men don't. Yes. Teach boys at seven, eight, nine years old how brilliant, how amazing their contribution um, to respect, to honor, to also show the plight that women go through so that they can have empathy and care and make it part of their own mission to see the value of how when women are liberated, how they also are liberated. Yeah what it means to stand for people of color, what it means to stand for all people, right? So I think if we have proactive things of that nature that maybe you had had, you said you had your grandmother, yes. but maybe had someone walk down the street instead of the skinhead, but that saw you there, like someone like Andy maybe, Absolutely. that would have been like, uh, hey dude, uh, let's go do something that's a value to your spirit, you know, that's positive. Maybe that would have also I agree. I definitely agree with that. I think school systems, all that. I, I think the issue is socialization and like re-socializing is so difficult. Like I read a book and I can't remember the name nor the author of the book, so I won't quote them here, but he was talking about raising his son, his two sons. And his older son was already socialized to model unhealthy masculinity. Uh, but his younger son was like five years old and he let he he raised both boys to do what they wanted to do. And his younger boy was playing with dolls in front of the house. And the older boy had his friends come over. And when his friends saw him, it deconstructed all the work that the father had done to allow this child to have Mm. a full range of what Mm. he wanted to do just by one look. And I thought that was amazing. So like, it really is a continual process of re-socializing, like letting them know it's okay. If kids look at you weird because you express yourself differently, if kids are saying things that are toxic, you don't have to line up with, like you can make a decision for yourself based on the values that we're providing that are healthy values. Mm. Um, And that needs to happen in school very early on, I think, Mm -hmm. in school, in home. A lot of, I think... I think that the divide between school and home, the idea that school teaches you these things and home teaches I think yeah. both teach you everything. Mm. Most of the most harmful things that I learned were on the schoolyard. I learned some yeah. harmful stuff at home too. Mm. But when I got to school and saw what people who looked like me, talked like me, were the same age as me and had the same concerns in life as me were doing, mm. I was like, okay, I'll do that. Right. 
You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. I have a topic that uh, I want to, I don't even know what the question is, but I'd love for you to speak on it a little bit. I've never been in a fight, right? We're here on masculinity. And I've never, I mean, I've felt the urge one time when I worked at McDonald's. Lucky you, man. Lucky you. Very privileged, extremely privileged situation. (laughs) But there's also a piece of me that's like, uh, feels like maybe I should know how to do it. Or is there, it seems like you've been exposed to like quite a lot of violence. And where are you at with it now? And what could you share with me? That's a good question. And speaking honestly, like, it's a blessing to not have been exposed to that because it's something that doesn't uh, unlearning that is more difficult than almost anything else that I've unlearned. Really? Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, I got in a, in a confrontation in my parking lot over a parking space mm. and my first posture was a square up. It was a gut response. And I called Manny after the incident occurred and I talked it through and I was kind of beating myself up, but I also admitted openly, like it felt good. Just it, the whole conflict felt good. Right. Mm. Felt wow. good. Felt good. It felt it's good. Powerful. I felt victorious. It felt pa- it's a false concept of power, but Got it. Right. that's the power that we know. And uh and Manny said, like, you have trauma paths that you have like someone described it to me like a forest. Like you're in this forest and you have a machete and you're trying to clear paths so that you can get through. All of those are trauma paths in our brain. Mm. And we have trauma responses, continuously yeah. trauma responses. And in a fight or flight instance, like I choose fight and it's not healthy. So now I use that in groups and Mm. I share that instance so that people know, like, you can fall and get back up. You can make a misstep and make the next step good. Mm. Um, But that's one of the most difficult things that I face, especially out here. There's so many things that are driving through L.A. right now. I was angry like the whole time. I'm 30 minutes late. I was angry the whole time. And there's so many things where you're modeling anger and aggression on top of what's really going on, which is fear, insecurity, Mm. et cetera. I had an instance where I was driving past the target on La Brea and uh, I like came out into the road and I didn't even notice someone behind me was like really upset with me. And they followed me and then pulled up next to me and basically did like a, like opened his car door to get out. And he was, um, like, basically, like, I need you to stand stand down or else we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it was a really interesting, like, masculine moment where I, I have nothing to win from you. Mm-hmm. There's no reason I would ever want to fight you. Mm-hmm. And I guess in this moment I can back down. Yeah. But there's still, like, I'm feeling like I'm losing dignity. Mm. It was a hard one. It was yeah, a weird situation. And I mean, I think this is a great way to get into what, what performative masculinity is, right? Which is you you talk about it in you know in prison of of the way that you kind of perform for the pack, right? And and just to speak to to that on a personal level, you know, Jay Z, um, I think in an interview with the New York Times, you know, at one point he's like, you know men um and he's you know talking about black men in his neighborhood like growing up they don't look at each other mm-hmm. because if i look at you then it means like i want to fight you mm-hmm. but when i look at you i see you <laughs> so what is this right what is the result is that men don't don't see each other you don't see them and mm. and i've been randomly not randomly, I guess we live in a fucking patriarchal world, but I've been in a few situations, two or three, where there there was like a group, a pack of men that did something and and I was with other men who were friends, but it was like a dangerous thing where they were kind of like going after me and trying to uh, uh, physically not assault me, but like groping and t- definitely like go- crossing the line. 
And I, in that moment, got so angry and yelled and like, you know, and I remember watching the men that I was with, like, not do anything. And and then afterwards, them telling me, like, I couldn't. Like, mm. like you getting mad at them. Like, they were looking at me and saying, if you do one thing, then I'm jumping you and then the rest of the gang is going to take her, basically. Wow. There's so much with masculinity and, and the performance of masculinity that that is so... Uh, almost, you know, you can't see with with the with your eyes that, but that men are kind of constantly battling with or or have to think about. Mm. So yeah, I'm just curious. I, f- I fully agree. It, like, and the concept we ground on in success stories is integrity. For, actually, we ground on the foundation would be top five. Mm-hmm. Who and what's most important to you? Right. You get people clear on that week one. Week five is when we begin discussing patriarchy. Week four, we watch a video and have a conversation about it. But week five, we dig in, six deep, and then on throughout the course. Uh, And what you find is that, you know, men are taught, we're socialized to believe that integrity in today's society is what you said, dignity, right? Respect. It's all performance. Mm. Hide the emotions that you have that everybody really has, but we'll hide half of them. We'll hide half the emotions that we have because those are female emotions they're feminine emotions mm. <laughs> hide all that and then everything from that point and that happens early on when you tell a five-year-old child that boys don't cry right. uh, and then as you move forward you learn that everything is performance it's all just i'm gonna posture i won't back down right everything that you say i can't confront them for looking at a girl i can't do that because that means i'm something less than a man mm-hmm And so in grounding on real integrity, authentic integrity, which is wholeness, completeness, which is being your true self, the person that you are for the people on this list, the person that you are in pursuit of the goals on this list is the person that you are. It's not it's not compartmentalized Uh, in grounding on that. That's where the continual work is. Mm. And I think uh, I mean, what happened to you is terrible. That's a terrible instance and is so much more common than we realize just in as you drive down and you see people catcalling catcalling to women walking mm-hmm. on the street or breaking neck like it's an imperative for men today and i think that folks can consent mm-hmm. agree with what i'm saying it's imperative that men break neck like yeah. that's a requirement and, to validate yourself as yes. a man and, so if you don't yeah. you're it's not even about other people sometimes it's about you don't feel like a man yeah. yourself like what you said yeah. and it's simply untrue but it's the it's your entire life of education. Yeah. And there's a spectrum of these specific situations that were, you know, dangerous and, and escalated and I, and I got, you know, groped. But and then there's the other end of the spectrum, which is a group of guys, again, positively uh, sexually harassing me, you know, or yelling compliments. And in that moment, you know, uh, very often if a woman doesn't respond, if a woman doesn't write, there's kind of this like anger, like, why don't you smile or why don't you? And it's because I know it's not about me. Yeah. Like, I know that you don't actually want like you're even if it was just about my body. I don't even like it's actually not about me being pretty. It's not about you wanting to talk to me. It's about you performing for your guys. Absolutely. And I'm just like a vehicle for that. That's mm. why I don't want to respond. Right. Or, or I mean, there are many reasons I wouldn't have to wouldn't <laughs> yeah. want to respond. But. I think women are are kind of perv- like kind of no, but yeah. but yeah, like I think men maybe men aren't even realizing that that's what they're doing. And in, in, I in think that so. I, in the moment that I described in the group at Success Stories, like I had no idea I was performing. It was only right. the process of questioning that allowed me space. Right. I why? think creating space. Yeah, right. if, without why, without it, most people don't walk around throughout their day wondering why they do the things mm-hmm. they do. I don't think that that's a. I think it's it's a, a learned skill. I think is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's absolutely 
like you go to the gym. I notice when I go to the gym in the morning, um, men and women see each other in the gym, right? But it's a super toxic space because men are trying to make sure that other people know that they see this person. They're uh. trying to let men know that they see this person. Wait, what trying, do you mean see like, this person? Like, so if person A, a man, and person B, a woman are in the gym, he wants it to be known that he's watching her. He's not really? making any effort to... And so it's a very uncomfortable space. Mm. I believe that women see men in the gym. I just think that they are much more subtle about it because they're not trying mm. to disrespect another human being. But in the process of objectification, this is my pursuit. This is my goal. Mm. I'm going to reckless eyeball this person until they know that I'm in pursuit of them. Right. And it's very, it's very, uh, it's, it's an ugly quality, but it's kind of like a primal quality right. like that they're trying to express to other people that, I'm yeah. Well, well, objectifying women in our society is a way to prove that you're a man, a man. Yeah, right? Absolutely. I mean, and again, I think a point worth making too is, oftentimes we we go so far to one side or the other. Like, there's a good man who does everything right, and then there's the men that are really screwed up, um, that are clearly objectifying women, that are clearly racist, that are clearly terrible to their spouses or children or whatever. But then there is. I would say the majority of men that are decent people that aren't extreme in their racism or sexism. We have friends that you hang out with that might say subtle things that, that seem not so damaging, yeah. right? But compared to the person that is actually objectifying you or, or, or doing something that's more blatant. But I don't think that's the majority. I think majority of people are decent people, decent men who do these things and they all pile up and they mm -hmm. still amount to the same damage to women and to people of color as the person that's doing the horrible, horrible thing that sends them to prison or gets them kicked out of their family or stuff, right? It's Absolutely. in fact even worse mm -hmm. because it becomes acceptable behavior. We know that the other behavior is not acceptable. Can't rape a woman. Yeah, You can't hang a, a, a black dude from a tree. We know that. But, but the subtle stuff that just goes on it's like, all right, we can deal with that. And that's causing so much damage. So I think we should point that out. I would like to point out with men that are listening also that don't identify with being, I'm one of the bad guys. You're a good guy. That still has tendencies. Mm -hmm. And those tendencies add up. I, I think, um, and I think what you're saying is important. I don't think that the polls are good or bad. It's just a bunch of people, mm -hmm. right? Like it's a bunch of people and some are making some tremendously harmful decisions and some are making some very healthy decisions and then the social norm allows just like you said like it allows people to continue operating that way say the overtly or uh, or covertly racist things uh the microaggressions uh to do the sexist things uh, and express that through microaggression and then it's reasserted as other people see them do it they will do it and i think that finding like healthy uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Like healthy ways to embrace the person and talk to them about what your experience is with that as they come up is important. Mm. And it's also important in terms of being an ally. If I see uh, a white person saying some stuff like, even if it's something that may not be that inflammatory and there isn't any people around because that's usually how that goes. That's right. right. That's how it goes. You pull it up and you don't pull it up in an attack because the person is not going to hear anything you say once you tell them that they're wrong for doing something. They do it like Manny did to you. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. So you just... Pull them up and say, hey, can we talk about that? I think that the space for conversations is profound. We have 24 hours in a day. We're only asleep for six to eight of that. Mm. Maybe you sleep more. I sleep less than that. But 
Well, we're only asleep mm. for so all of the rest of that time is space for conversations of value, of mm. texture, and mm. all of those are conversations of value and texture. Mm. Yeah, just why? And even, you know, when, when someone, again, whether it's a sexist thing or a racist thing or a homophobic thing, it's like just saying like, oh, did you mean to say that? Or, or what did you mean by that? Yes. Right? It's just like asking a question as opposed to coming in with a statement. Is Absolutely. that kind of part of it? Is mm-hmm. that a simple way to... Because I, I think people think about... I mean, I feel like I get this question all, all the time. You know, how do I... Pull something uh, pull, up. Pull, and, and I think we go to, okay, how do I, you know, again, give them the best blow to that joke? Or how do I make them feel the worst about, you know, so that they change? But it's, no, it's actually kind of being open to mm-hmm. the answer and being able to tolerate it too, mm-hmm. whatever. Because you have to listen, mm-hmm. you know. It's funny. There's a lot of like being on the show now for a bunch of episodes and just like trying to think of like, okay, what is healthy masculinity, right? And this is one of my best friends. He's really good at it. And just knowing you for less than an hour, I'm super drawn to you, is um, owning your shit. Mm. Seems like, to me, a really cool... Mm-hmm. I'm sure it can go anywhere, but I want to put that in the masculine pile. Yes. Of yeah. like, ooh, owning your stuff yeah. makes me want to be a, a bigger man. Yeah. There's, and like it's really cool mm-hmm. that uh, when you see another man do it, inherently you're like, oh, I want to be like that. That's really cool. I like that. I, I, I think that. I think there's a lot of value in what you said because it's the process of accountability. You have to learn the shit that you're doing that you don't know is harming other people. And as you learn it, own that. Own that's it. accountability. And it doesn't have to be with shame and self-flagellation. I think that that's something that we do that's super harmful. Like, uh, I am, I have a tremendous amount of shame for things that I've done, but I don't need to wear that shit outwardly. I don't need right. to show everybody how ashamed I am of that stuff because right. that's just, it's uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, you know? Um, mm-hmm. it, it's fake. I need to have remorse within, mm. express my remorse through action. There's also something mm. that's so cool about people that have gone all the way. <laughs> they see where it can, like, the heart of it. Like like you're saying, the people in the middle that just throw out, like, a real racist thing here or play with the line d- don't have actual intimate understanding of what they're doing, you know? And so to sit with someone like you who has been all the way to the to the center of it and then unlearned all of it is really, really helpful. And incredible. I haven't unlearned all of it. I've, no, I've I mean, just like some efforts. Yes, to efforts. Some shit. But even but, how you respond to yeah. it, man, is it's like really the accountability. And it's actually more, isn't it more? It looks more powerful. You know, when there's someone that's without accountability, when someone's like, ah, I didn't do that, or, you know, I didn't screw up, or um, I haven't said racist things or sexist, things, or whatever it may be. But when you see someone say, yeah, mm-hmm. I screwed up, mm-hmm. um, I've had some learning to do. You look at that and be like, oh, that dude right there is powerful. Yeah. That guy right there is confident because that's a he's man. so that's <laughs> a man. He's so confident that he can acknowledge and admit that he's messed up and it doesn't define him. Mm-hmm. Right? It, you can keep going and so uh, um I really appreciate that about you. You demonstrate that you are super super powerful in my Ooh, right yeah. now. I mean, you just got strength you. and with such humility. And some of us may have done like you you acknowledge what you do well is you're not excusing any behavior. But you're you're explaining it, which is important for us to look at, mm-hmm. right? Like, even the way you share it is not like, well, I did this because of this and this, so therefore I'm excused. It's like I did this. It was wrong. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to continue it. 
I want to be different. So I have to find a way to explain it so that I can change it. And uh, I think that's what we always have to do as men, as people, but in this context as men, so that we don't repeat these same behaviors, yeah. you know, and that we uh, allow room for redemption. Um, when none of us are championing our mistakes, I made some mistakes that uh, it, nobody should do. And you can throw darts at me all day long for what I did. There's no excusing it. But by being friends with me and loving me, you're not saying, Jamie, the actions you did were okay. Yeah. I hate that you did that, Jamie. But I'm here with you in your redemption mm -hmm. life Absolutely. and your part, right? So I think that's an important thing that we say to people so that we don't get caught up in, well, Andy did this and this. How, why are you befriending someone that did this? Why are you befriending someone that was in prison? Why are you befriending someone that was uh, such an adulterer? Or, you know, I think it's just we have to hold space. Right. I love what you demonstrate to the world, mm -hmm. man. You are a man. You are <laughs> man flipping enough. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> And just so because your growth, uh, I, I think any person's growth benefits so many other people's growth. What was the the thing you miss you the the biggest lesson that you learned about relationships? Like, what was the thing that you thought relationship was before that now through this intensive intensive work you're like, oh, this is. Uh, so you can't idealize love. Mm. It's not a movie. Relationships aren't a movie. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, in full accountability, I hurt someone that I love. Right, that I sincerely love and that loves me. And in that process of hurting this person, uh, the potential for loss, the potential for, you know, there's been blowouts and fights and trying to make amends and all of that. But uh, like, you can't idealize love is the most powerful lesson in this. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. really like it's a big one. action, which mm -hmm. we cover in our curriculum. And mm. I'd like to say you should know this, but I mean, no. it's an ever expansive yes. concept and emotion and action and verb yes. and all that stuff. And watch so. every Hollywood movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's what we're fed yeah. from the yes. very early on. Um, thank you for sharing that. That's okay. wonderful. So good. Will you share with us a couple of things real quick? Sure. Just rapid fire. Okay. What brings you joy? What brings me joy? Uh, my dog. I love my dog. Yeah. Um, freedom. Like mm. real freedom. Because sometimes I still don't feel free. Like sometimes I'm out and I still don't feel free. But like when you have that unrestrained, unabashed, like I'm doing me right now, that brings me joy. Going into the prisons, uh, like that it started when I got cooked up with Richie when I came home. It was like amends. I wanted to make amends for actions. I didn't know it was going to turn into a whole career. Like, I love the work that I do. Seeing the light turn on for people is one of the most amazing mm. feelings. Like, <laughs> as we're going, it's simple exercises that we do. But, like, these simple exercises, people, it clicks for them. And I remember that moment for me and how much potential it holds. Mm. So that's what brings me joy. Mm. Uh, but, I mean, I'd be selfish I'll be selfish here and say that my dog brings me more joy than anything. <laughs> That's not yeah. selfish, man. That's a little self-care right mm, there. Okay, when is the last time that you cried? Today. Oh. Why? Uh, the relationship stuff. Why? Oh. It's, uh, it's still rocky, so I'm still trying to sort it out. So okay. that would be the last time that I cried. Mm. And probably mm. will continue to do so until I sort out. I, I think it's interesting, um, I mean, from a sociological like, like overview— uh, how much shame and guilt I put on myself. Uh, like I'm sitting there in like a den of self-pity over the stuff that I've done and harm that I've caused. And I know that that shit is not constructive, but I'm still doing it. Yeah. Um, and in some ways it's helpful and has helped me before, so I still feel like doing it. But uh, I, I hope to rapidly outgrow that and just get into transformative mode. Mm, mm. Beautiful. Okay, the last question that we ask is, uh, what does it mean to be man enough? I think what it means to be man enough is to be human. It's synonymous. They're, they're hum being a human is more important for me than being a man. 
Um, I identify as a man. Uh, pronouns are he, him, his. Uh, simultaneously, like, my point of identification that's more important for me is humanity. Like, I am a human being, and other people on this earth are human beings, and we all have ups and downs and make bad choices and good choices. And the more we invest and build community around one another through that process of creating space and investment, the more growth that we can have as humans mm. overall. Boom. You are every bit of man enough. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir, man. There's so much. I think our listeners have so much to, I hope that they are able to glean from your sharing and from your heart and from your work. That's really it, your work, mm. your Thank own you. transformation. Thank you I, so much for having me. I'm, I'm really grateful for this opportunity. Thank you. Thank your, you. Your accountability is staggering to me. It is really inspiring. Mm. Thank you. We all struggle with that in our own lives. Yeah. We all got crap. I got stuff that I'm still working to try to get on to in front of my eyes mm -hmm. that is like ugly that I'm like, if I could just get it, you know, it's a daily practice. And uh, I am truly inspired by hearing your ability to be so accountable. Mm. Oh my yeah. God. You're a hero. Yeah. You're awesome. And when you came in, because you were a little bit late, you said, I'm just not very good at life. And I want to tell you. <laughs> Oh no, <laughs> that life has not been very good to you, and you have been extraordinarily good at life oh, and have shown the strength and the bravery and the courage um, that, that I don't know how many people can, could, could have uh, really shown with the things that you were thrown. So Thank you. you're very good at life. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you for being part of my life. Brother. Likewise. All right. Um, for those of you listening, um, thanks for joining us. Uh, tell your friends. Tell your brothers and sisters, mm -hmm. come join us. Listen to our future episodes. Follow We Are Man Enough on Instagram for some incredible reels. Oh, my gosh. Oh, incredible. Yeah. There are some great reels. Know that Jamie um, didn't want to do Jamie, any of them. any of them. And we've, we really tag-teamed tag him we tag and forced him to do it. He did a TikTok. So it's actually more impressive yes. that we, we did such incredible reels with such a grump. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know? Yeah. Uh, where can they find us, Liz? Manenough.com slash podcast. Mm -hmm. Apple can... Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, YouTube. Um, or other places. But it's for free. You can listen and join our community. Love it. And Graham, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank, thank you, you Graham. Um, we will see you next week. And for now, I'm Jamie Heath. Andy Grammer. Liz Plank. And this is Man Enough. Thank you for listening to the Man Enough Podcast, produced by Wayfair Studios and presented by Procter & Gamble in partnership with Cadence 13 and Odyssey Company. Hosted by Justin Baldoni, Liz Plank, and me, Jamie Heath. If you like what you heard, please follow us and tune in weekly as we undefine masculinity and learn in real time. Justin Baldoni, Jamie Heath, and Tara Maholtra Feinberg from Wayfair Studios, Mark Pritchard and Anna Saufeld from Procter & Gamble, and Chris Corcoran from Cadence 13 are our executive producers. Kayla Nicholson is our producer, Ashmi Elizabeth Dang is head of marketing, and Susie Landers O'Connell is our lead editor. Thanks for listening.